Hello. Okay. So we're going to try this. Um, apparently the technology that I've used previously wasn't working. So I think it's important that we try this because I want to see how this goes. So let's talk about the studio system. Um, so you should have been reading since you couldn't listen yet. Hopefully you did that. Um, a little bit about it and the background information. So what I'm going to share with you is a little bit more intense. And it does still follow along with the notes that I gave you. Um, so it's important that you are paying attention. I'm going to do my best to answer the questions as we go. But if I miss something, it is your responsibility to go and look it up or find it out. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Uh, so let's figure it out. Okay, so the studio system. You got to think about the fact that the studio system has been in place or started in place around the 1920s and then continued into the 1940s and 1945. So if you look at your notes, you have a collection of vocabulary. And this vocabulary is words that are going to make it really important for you to think about how the studio system kind of changed um it, it changed movies. Let's just be real. Um, you had different people that were a part of it that made things important. Um, there were different elements that has infiltrated and basically set the skeleton for how films currently work. And understanding this matters because the productions of the films that were created around this time still influence how movies are created today, but also influence the types of movies that were being made, the types, the way the actors were, and all aspects of analysis. Um, it really, the creation of the studio system is also a creation of another major system that occurred during this time. Um, it took the concepts of Henry Ford and his idea of a mass market system, um, the assembly line, if you will, and put that in place, but using human as the commodity. Um, it did start out mono monopolistic, um, and then it stemmed into further more information as we get going. Um, so you'll notice that if you look on Power School, there are a bunch of different videos that you can help summarize your learning. Um, and this is the start in which I'm going to share with you a little bit about how the studio system became a dream factory. Um, it also did so many other pieces. All right. So if there's questions, I'll do my best to answer. Okay, here we go. Just so you know, you guys, I kind of do miss you. So let's hope this this is much better in person than it is on, on video or on recording. Okay, so Hollywood is a dream factory because it's set up both as an art form and an industry. And I, I shared that with you with regard previous to the studio system. Um, but it definitely manufactured images. It, it manufactured different sounds, different characters, different situations, and different stories. Um, and as I alluded to before, it's it's a so-called second industrial revolution. So you took the concept of the electricity, like the steel and the chemistry and the commercialism, um, and it kind of took all of those concepts, but then as I stated, put it in a different form. Um, 
And it really, sorry. It's 10 o'clock at night. Um, it totally made this, this crazy industry. So back when we were starting at the very first unit, the very first unit talked about Thomas Edison. Um, and from him and what he created with the vitagraph um, was the motion picture commerce. Um, and that connected to a lot of other people. So his photographic works innovated the motion picture film. But then in came General Electric, or GE. That also influenced sound recording. So all of these things drew on the techniques of the modern mass production. So it became the centralization of production, or a division of labor. And it resulted in increasing specialization and professionalism of the workforce. And as I alluded to, the assembly line. Now, um, in the 1910s and 1920s, based on the industrial models of Henry Ford, it depended on the coordinate effort made of each person in the production. So you would pay producers, directors, and stars, and then workers from the middle and lower end got paid less, and then the screenwriters, art directors, costume designers, camera people. So there's a number of elaborate, heavy capitalized system. Hmm, excuse me of production that employed the precision state of art and machines. Um, and it, it, it wasn't the perfect assembly line, but it was definitely uh, coordinated by central management. Um, from here, you had these intangible goods put in place. So this concept of commodity was designed to last three or more years. And then the intangible good would last brief hours and then vanish into memory. So when you think about that, that's exactly what a movie is. You sit and watch a movie for two hours. It's a one of the kind. It's a unique experience. Um, and then it, it vanishes away. But there are moments of that movie that you'll still remember. It's, it's why we rewatch things. I mean, I can rewatch Disney movies and I still remember the first time that I watched it or like the second. And you, you, it holds on to a special place. And, and that's that intangible good. Um, you have to think that movies were intended to never be the same or also never be seen before from different audiences. So from that, it became very stable. So in the 1920s to 1940s, there was unproven commodity. So producers would gamble. The studio systems then would evolve and it would try to take some ideas of inherent in production of intangible goods. So it would try to work to create that feeling of intangible goods, if you will, quote, um, and make that work for the audience. From this desire resulted in some crazy business practices and it kind of was a subtle but unstable business. So they, if you know, think about many of you taking marketing right now and different business items, you have different uh, levels of so sorry competencies that come into place. Um, so then you have a brand name. It'd be like choosing Supreme or simple things as Nike. Studios would make this brand name and then that resulted in the star system, which we'll get to. But from the brand, the personalities, the producers, the directors, the screenwriters, they would attempt and figure out what attracted an audience. 
So you have iconography, which are different story patterns, which resulted into film genres, which we'll study after this. Um, then you have the goal was to provide audience with a variety of fundamental known qualities. So if you think of Hitchcock films, Hitchcock films has fundamental known qualities throughout it. If you want to think of comedies or the 1940s musical or the 1930s musical, there are fundamental known qualities within it. And that was all created based on the studio system, which is why producers started to engage in multiple monopolistic business practices. And they did this through blind bidding, block booking, putting the runs in place, different zones, um, and then whatever film productions returned on the investment. Um, so that sounds really weird if you're not familiar with it. Blind bidding would mean like you're going to throw out all this, like we have 10 movies in production. Here's this one, this one, this one, and this one. And one of them is going to be a cowboy movie and another one's going to be a comedy. And then another one's going to be a horror movie. And if you didn't say what that the cowboy movie had John Wayne in it, the horror movie was directed by Alfred Hitchcock and the comedy movie was, um, took the Marx brothers. And you just said all those things in the most general term, that would be blind bidding. And, a a theater, meaning like a movie theater, would have to choose if they were going to bring that in and for how long of a run. So maybe they want, they knew they'd get more people coming to um, scary movies um, or Hitchcock like films, but they didn't know if they would actually get a Hitchcock film or they could get a total flop. It would be saying, hey, you're going to see the most recent Tom Cruise film, but it's basically the really crappy Tom Cruise film that ended up on Netflix. So that's that kind of concept. Now, during the 1930s through the 1950s, there were five major companies and three minor studios that were fighting for this and really producing this blind bidding. And these are the same movie companies that you're going to work on with the assignment after this task. So your five major companies were Paramount, Lowe's and MGM, 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, and RKO. Your minor companies were Universal, Columbia, and the United Artists. Now, within these eight different major and minor studio systems, a lot came into play. So the whole concept of a studio system really did come from Thomas Edison and his idea of the motion picture patent company. But Thomas Edison's motion picture patent company was um, oligopolistic because Edison had the Vitagraph and then you had Path, who had the Biograph, and Fox and Lomo would break, then would do, like, they were working together based on this patent, all of the patents that were intended to do that. And then two people would come in and they would actually break the trust, the, Tom, the motion picture patent company and the trust that was put in place. And their names were Flux, Fox, and Lomo Melum. Then it was proved they were trying to do this because they believed in the trying to exasperate exacerbate the industry and exacerbate the the concepts. Um, the trust that it's referencing is beyond just the motion picture patent company, but it was stemmed from the Sherman's Antitrust Act. 
um, and it was intended that to give uh, give pride to the people that created these items. So, 1909, the trust resisted the publication of different stories and proven the creation of the studio system. By doing this, it gave the public what they seemed to want, um, which were feature-like films. And then you have um, all of those kind of come into place, these feature-length films. Um, there's some good and the bad that can come from this, these items. Uh, Adolf Zucker, who was a famous player from a famous family that worked out well. So then his took theater people and then they became, helped become movie stars. But then the studio system also did something negative where they would exploit feature length films and the star systems. So you could, we'll get to that part later. But it was a vertically integrated marketplace with secure economic um, teamwork. If we talk a little bit about the vertical integration, it basically refers to the structure of a marketplace that was integrated at a variety of crucial levels. So kind of like we talked about the stock market or different other pieces, the studio system, system established a market in which studios are owners of the production facilities, they're owners of the distribution, the outlets, the theaters that would actually be distributing it, and it would be controlled all levels from the top down. So around the 1910s, the trust, that Sherman Act trust, denied motion pictures who refused to pay in addition to operating costs. Um, so this was all kind of after the post-war. So then in 1920s, MGM um, became a major studio that also owned a theater company. And then the minor studios, Universal, Columbia, and United Artists, would distribute with special arrangement to the theater companies owned by the major studio systems. Um, and so they would book in each other. The majors took 40 and 60% of the different studios, but only owned fractions of theater chains because most of the theater chains were independent. Now, this all resulted in a special distribution practice. And this distribution practice talked about block booking, blind bidding, runs, zones, and clearances. Now, again, block booking is a special distribution practice. So it would exhibit when to rent the film, the rent the studio and the yearly outbook that was forced to bid without seeing. And I kind of explained this a little. Then blind bidding was when people would rent before they completed the film, which evolved out of the star system. So you sell the bad with the good. So if Marilyn Monroe was doing seven different movies and there would be somebody who wanted all of them, they might take all seven movies, but some of those movies might not be as good as some of the others. So if we did some like it hot and then saw, um, gentlemen prefer blondes, they may not have been the same. Now, once they did that blind bidding and block booking, then they had to decide on the run. Most of the time, movies would have a first run in September, and then it would become cheaper around the time of October and November. So if you think back to when you were, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, there was that cheap movie theater on Highway 100, that would be 
if you kept a movie in there for a long period of time over down at the Marcus, then it goes to the sub theater and that's that cheap theater that was once there. You wanted movies to have a large house run, but there was most of the time only theaters were allowed to exhibit one picture at a time. Um, so that, that made a difference. And then you'd have different zones. Um, sometimes your zones could be from seven to 30 days. Sometimes you could delay it. All of this was intended to keep a maximum rental. Um, now there were two major people that kind of were put in place that really infiltrated the star system. So from the studio system resulted in the star system. And like I said, we'll get to that. But just keep in mind that Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks are two major individuals when it comes to the star system. Um, and these two changed a lot of how it all goes down. Um, now, Movie stars would be placed under contract, which was an efficient organization of the distribution and exhibition of motions by a film product, which and it contracted to various studios. When you watch Hail Caesar, you're going to see this in action. So you're going to see how um, st studio systems own movie stars, what they do with them, how they controlled it. Um, and how they basically treated actors and actresses as commodities. So most actors and actresses would have a restrictive long-term seven-year contract, and they forbid engaging in any um, non-appropriate acting items um, and regulated personal behaviors, moral closures, um, and a, any type of on-screen or off-screen appearances. Um, they would coordinate different things, and you'll see that in action on Inhale Caesar. Um, they would, studio would have contracts that required players to be act whatever film they were in, cast in. Um, they could be suspended without pay for up to seven years. They'd have to attend different public functions um, and promote the tie-ins, and it was all a part of, like, this, again, this dream factory around the 1930s, it, it really wasn't good for actors um, because it led to about six days a week, so 14 hours a day. So, for example, one of the major movie stars, Clark Gable, he had 14 pictures at MGM just in the year 1931 alone. So you think about that, that's working on and making a movie one per month during all of 1931 with a bonus one in May and a bonus one at Christmas. And all of these are filling filling the, the movie theaters. Uh, Betty Davis, she did eight films at one time in 1932. And it, you know, just based on the turnaround of how long it takes movies to be created, we'll be, to be doing eight films at this time, that's the studio system really shelling out an actor and actress with the hope that it's going to make them the most money, pending on the type of bidding that would result from it. Now, all of this worked into a self-contained world. So everyone under contract was because it was allowed them to have constant readiness for each new project. So if we're to say New Berlin is the quick, perfect studio system, and you have so many different facets in it, as soon as Buckley, the studio sister director, said, oh, hey, Adam White, you're going to go film with 
Miss um, Dwyer and you're going to do a really funny show. And then once you're done with that, you're going to go be in a Western. And then once you're done with that, we're going to have you go down and do a historical fiction with Mr. Byrne. Like that's the immediacy that all of the movie stars would be working. There was a lot of choice. It wasn't like you're seeking out ways to make this happen. It, it just happened and it happened on contract based by the studio system. Um, and again, you're really, you're, you're seeing that in the movie that you're watching after this. Um, so because studio systems were in a very self-centered world, they planned a lot of it. So they were in need of constant readiness, but it also was the studio layout <sighs> that facilitated production and they could have their own police force, um, their own sanitation workers, their own fire chief, their own water, um, electrical. They would do different gyms, any place. And all of it was um, through this idea of imagination. And then, but also through this need to produce quickly. They would have a room of like just screenwriters. And these screenwriters would be chomping out scripts all the time. And then they'd get moved on. And then you'd have a script reader. And then the script reader would be saying, oh, this would be great for us. This is on our brand. Or no, this isn't on our brand. Um, but all of this was intended to be an economically viable option. Um, most of the time when you think about it, movies and scenes are not shot in order. I'm so sorry for the awning. Um, they would be shot in different groups based on the type of actors and actresses they would have. Then you'd have various studio equipment. Most studio equipment was in high demand. Um, from that, like thinking about it, a movie would have a screenwriter. The screenwriter would write a script. The script would be approved. Then they would go back. They would edit some things. They would think about who they would cast. And then they go on to production. Then the script is sent to the art department at the same time. In the art department, then they would be choosing what that should look like, what sound stages they're going to use, what costumes do they need to have. From the art department, they would go and share that with different directories, different other pieces. And the cinematographers would come in and the carpenters and the staff, and then all of that would be built. And you can kind of see that exactly what that means. Now, there's a chain of command that comes down with it. You have the coordinators, the producers, directors, and artists. Then you bracket, break it down to the screenplays. Then you divide it by the areas of specialization. So you have your director's crew, your actor's crew, your physical crew, your sound crew. You can kind of see what that, and editors. You can kind of see how that all works. Your director's crew includes of your assistant director, your script girls, your dialogue coach, your unit coaches. Your actors are the people who are taking care of your actors. So you have your makeup, your hair, um, your lighting doubles, your stand-ins. Um, it's not like they had major, um, what you would call it, fight scenes where you'd need a body double or something. But they would use stand-ins to think of height so that they weren't standing around doing all of the same things at the same time. Um, then you'd have your more photography pieces, which is your cameras, your get grips, your gaffs, um, the art cinematographers. And then finally you work your down to your other technical people. So the people who would do the sound recordings, the instrumentation, etc. Now, once all of those put together, most of it came to editors and their editors would do the rough cut and try to find the musical score. They were written by the studio. Then it was composed and recorded by a studio orchestra. Then the editors would come in and do montage pieces. Then the studio lamp would add optical efforts, dissolves, etc. They would add the titling. 
all of this comes into the different types of ways in which it takes to make a movie. So you're thinking about it, a dude's doing 12 of these. So how many movies is he actually doing at one time? Sorry, 14. Um, but pending on the director and then the screenwriters and the producers, the actors and then the costume designers, it all takes place in who's doing what, when, where, and how. But they have to be communicative and working with each other in order for this to happen. So, understanding excuse me, a little bit of the background, you can go on to understand that the studio system was the people that created the look, and they were all unique, stylistic, and thematic. And you're going to understand that further as you're looking at your Padlet and doing your little one-pager research um, in which you're supposed to complete. Understanding the studio, then it means that they are in turn doing the kind of different genre studies and different people would do different types of genres. So you will see that when you read, MGM was known for this, Fox was known for this, RKA was known for this. Um, there are a lot of things that come into play with it, um, but the studio systems also help start set the scene for start of broadcast television. And you'll you'll may have read or may have found out a little bit more. Now, there is a collapse and an end of the studio system, and it truly came became right before World War II um, because of the antitrust division suit then it resulted in a lot of monopolistic practices. So around 1944, um, the suit, which was actually settled in 1948, it was called the Paramount case. And there the Supreme Court ruled that upon the majors of the operations, speaking of production and distribution from exhibition. So meaning that Paramount would be able to do this, this, and this, but then they also lost this. Um, the United Artists, Columbia, they didn't own a theater, so then it wouldn't really matter. And that's where the monopoly came from. So if if Eisenhower owns a theater and then they're only going to produce their own movies in there and never share or show anything else, then that's basically a monopoly on that group of people. Um, the change was delayed slightly into the 1950s, and it remained in place until about 1963 with the post-war Um, but in it also resulted in labor unions, unions coming in and changing um, how that was. Then there, around this time, there was a lot of commotion with the television and the rise of independent productions. After, most of the time, actors wanted to work for themselves, not for a studio. Those are all factors that came into the collapse and the end of the studio system. Around the 1960s, the um, ownership of the major and minor studios switched hands um, and different cooperation. Uh, you can see who does what, if it's large, if it's small, etc. Many potion pictures became only one of corporate activities. So you want to think about if I'm going to make a motion picture like Great Balls of Fire, it's not very engaging, but it has corporate activities, and I'm going to make people want to come watch it um, because that would then increase its value. Fox and MGM would sell backlights um, for actions, just different ways that they could compete their money. Now there is this thing called this New Studios, which is basically distributed as films or produced by a growing number of independents. There still has your six major media consumers, in both film and distribution, broadcast, satellite, and television.
but um, there are new conglomerates which were intended and put in place in order to maximize their profits, which resulted in a maximization of the rise to this synergy um, and cross-promotion. So with each new film made, a studio must observe whether the screen to produce it. Uh, screenwriters then give the theme, shooting scripts, uh, producers, directors, star cinemas. And then around the three month, three to four month, they start shooting this with the schedule. They spend time in her location, motion pictures, not in teaching. Then you have industry, Hollywood, tailor makers, all for dismin- diminishing um, the filmmaking elite. But around the end of this year, studio means that there's an interrelated group of artisans working whose unique talents contribute to the handwritten crafting of individual pictures. That's what happened to the studio system. Now, next time I'm going to give you some explanation about the star system and they're interconnected. So if there's questions, you should be able to ask. Otherwise, hopefully you filled out your notes by hand.